Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Let's Talk. If you are new, Let's Talk is a podcast hosted by Kirthi Jayaraman, where special guests discuss social justice issues, activism, and how to be a socially responsible human. Today, we have Haley Goldsmith to discuss voting suppression, the relevance of the youth vote, and the importance of 2020. Haley is a rising sophomore at the University of Pennsylvania, studying philosophy, politics, and economics. Welcome, Haley. Hi, Kirthi. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to talk to you. Of course. Now, to begin our conversation, for those of you who don't know, this summer, Haley is working with Blue Future, which is an organization dedicated to connecting young people to progressive campaigns. Tell us about your role with Blue Future. How did you end up working here, and why did it spark interest? Yeah, so my particular role with Blue Future is an organizer, and I actually found out about this program that they're running this summer, which is called The Summer for Progress and Change, and it's basically a campaign for educating youth about political organizing and getting them connected to campaigns throughout the country. And the reason that I ended up finding out about it is actually through Penn Democrats. I was involved with them during the fall semester at Penn, and I still get emails from them. And one of the members of the exec board ended up finding out about this really amazing opportunity with Blue Future. And it was actually perfect timing because my original summer plans ended up kind of getting scrambled as a result of the pandemic. And so this is a a great way for me to get involved with the diversity of campaigns um, and try to get progressive candidates elected. Each week we volunteer for about 10 hours phone banking for a particular campaign hosted by that state's Democratic Party. Um, So we've so far volunteered for states like Michigan and North Carolina, and we're very strategically trying to help swing the the Senate races blue in in competitive Senate elections. Um, So it is a a really cool way to make an impact um, and just learn very practical skills about political organizing. Yeah, and I think that it's really cool how a lot of organizations were able to adapt during the pandemic to still give students the opportunity to participate in politics especially, because even though we're in a pandemic, politics and the campaigns and election dates still haven't changed. So I think organizations like Blue Future are really cool because they're still allowing students to get involved with campaigns that are still running even during COVID-19. And I want to talk to you about how lately on social media, a lot of alarming statistics about voting have been circulating. For example, almost 100 million Americans who could vote did not in the last election. That being said, the youth vote, which are people ages 18 to 24, has become an important part of the conversation surrounding voting in 2020. The youth influence the outcome of elections in swing states especially. While most people are talking about the necessity of voting, many forget that a large number of potential youth voters are actually not registered to vote. Have you seen institutions encourage students to register to vote? And what methods do you think will be most effective to actually get people in the polling booths on election days? As I mentioned, I was pretty involved with Penn Democrats, especially in the fall semester. And it ended up kind of coinciding with a local election in Philadelphia. So I got to participate in voter registration efforts to try to get Penn students registered to vote and encourage them to vote for Democratic candidates. 
And the ways that we did it um, were mostly tabling and one-to-one interactions, trying to encourage groups of friends to go together and register and vote on election day. Um, But there's also another student-led organization on Penn's campus called Penn Leads the Vote, and they actually have a lot of resources to financially incentivize students to register to vote and go to the polls on election day. For example, I volunteered for one of their events in the fall, and they, they essentially gave away free food to people that could prove that they registered, and they had a raffle for free AirPods. So really just crazy financial incentives that a lot of institutions don't have access to. And, and really, we shouldn't need to be compelling young people to vote just because they can have the chance to win a set of AirPods. I know there was a student-run coffee shop that offered free cups of coffee if you could prove that you voted. I mean, it is cool to be able to receive some type of reward, but that isn't what should be compelling people to vote. And I think that one of the most important ways that we can encourage people to vote is is basically just get excited about it. Like once you're old enough to vote and you can register, um, I think it should be something that you talk about with your friends and kind of just something that you encourage people to do so that it becomes more of a norm and something that you're intrinsically excited about, I think can really shift the way that we think about voting. And also encouraging and reminding people that we really do have have a big part in who gets elected and who gets to make our decisions. I think political efficacy is such an important thing. And I think that if people are disillusioned by politics and think that their vote doesn't matter, then yeah, they're not going to be excited about voting and they might not vote at all. So I think just reminding everyone that voting is important and that elections can be won just by a few thousand votes. Yeah, exactly. And I think the whole conversation about incentivizing the youth population to vote is really interesting to me because I don't think that students should be receiving huge incentives in order to vote because in my personal opinion I see voting as a civic duty and I think that when college campuses that do have larger endowments have all these large events not only to get students to register to vote but also to get students to actually vote on the polling day so and I think it's just very interesting because are young people that disillusioned by voting that they need to like have some sort of incentive, whether that be through food or money? And for the young people that are in institutions where they can receive some sort of incentive, are those people not going to vote come election day? And I think that that's a really interesting idea. I also like to think about the perception of voting as a whole in the United States and a lot of Americans actually see voting as a choice. Like, if I feel like it, I'll go ahead and do it, but I'm not necessarily obliged to. And I think this is a really different narrative than we see in other countries. For example, one of my classmates, he's from Brazil, and he talked about how voting is mandatory. And if you don't vote, you actually have to pay a fine. And I think that that sort of mentality of it being an actual duty that you have some sort of accountability for is so powerful and very interesting. And the United States definitely lacks that when you are seeing alarming statistics, like 100 million citizens that had the potential to vote not voting. However, 
I, I do see in the media a lot of people trying to push this narrative that voting is cool, like you mentioned. And we see this with an increasing number of celebrities posting on Instagram with their I voted sticker. And one campaign that I thought was really interesting was during a local elections in Dallas a few years ago, uh, celebrities Liza Koshy, Alicia Keys, and America Ferreira teamed up to lead a campaign to get people to vote in Dallas. And actually, Dallas saw a huge increase in people voting that election year in local elections. And I thought that's kind of interesting. Do we need a celebrity to tell us to vote? And is that indicative of what interests the youth population? So I don't know if you have anything more to say regarding that particular idea. I think that a lot of social media trends can be potentially harmful in some ways. But I think that in this case, if you're promoting civic engagement and you're promoting voting and you're, you are trying to, in a sense, activate this type of peer pressure among young people, I think it can actually be used for good. Um, and I think it is helpful to see celebrities that you look up to or other role models that you have basically display that they also care about voting and that you should too. Um, I think that it is a really helpful mechanism for encouraging young people to vote because of how, how much of a presence certain celebrities have on social media. For sure. And this kind of leads us to another issue that is separate, but uh, one thing that we are going to talk about today, which is the idea of voting suppression. So while there are many people who choose not to vote, there is an alarming number of people who actually aren't able to vote in the United States. And this idea is called voting suppression, in which the government essentially controls who gets to vote and who doesn't. And I would just first of all like to thank at Welcome to the Movement, which is an Instagram account, for this brief explanation of voting suppression. So one of the first ways that voting suppression comes in the form of tossing out voter registration applications. So laws such as the exact match law states that voter registration applications can be thrown out for the tiniest of errors such as a missing hyphen from someone's last name. And a lot of these applications that are thrown out disproportionately affect BIPOC populations. Another way that voting suppression exists is with the purging of registered voters. So when states clean up their voter polls, which is essentially meant for removing folks who have passed away or moved out of state, they also can disenfranchise rightfully registered folks, which they only learn of actually typically on election day. So in 2016, Arkansas purged thousands of voters for so-called felony convictions, even though some of the voters had never been convicted of a felony at all, and yet they were still unable to vote in 2016. Another way is requiring ID, and although this may seem like a reasonable request, over 21 million U.S. citizens do not have a government-issued photo ID, and obstacles to attaining an ID often disproportionately affect the poor, elderly, disabled, and people living in rural areas. An example being that North Dakota's voter ID laws require that Native Americans provide an ID that shows a street address, even though many Native Americans only have a P.O. box to show as a proof of address. Another way that voting suppression exists is states making it difficult to register. And some states require that a voter provide documents to prove their citizenships, others hand out penalties for holding voting registration drives, and still others limit the time frame in which voters can register. 
So in the 2016 presidential election, 90,000 New Yorkers were unable to vote because their applications did not meet the 25-day cutoff for registration. Another group of people that are constantly disenfranchised from voting are people with prior felony convictions um, who are often prevented from voting. So having a felony conviction can prevent a person from voting ever again. And because of racial bias in the criminal justice system, felony disenfranchisement laws disproportionately affect black voters who often face much harsher sentences than white people for the same exact offenses. In fact, one out of every 13 black Americans has lost their voting rights due to felony disenfranchisement laws versus just one out of 56 non-black voters. And this is insane when you read the statistics. It's really disheartening. And I have actually spoken to a couple previously convicted felons who have already served their sentences. Um, I've spoken them to them on the phone while phone banking. And when I ask them who they're voting for, they have to tell me that unfortunately they cannot register to vote anymore because of statewide voting and election laws. So it is, it, it does exist and it does prevent a lot of people from voting every year in elections. And um, one other way that voting is more difficult for a lot of people, if not impossible, um, is due to the reduced number of polling locations. Um, so in Kentucky's primary election this year, the number of polling locations was slashed from the typical 3,700 to less than 200 for, for their election. And Jefferson County, where half of Kentucky's black population resides, has only one polling station for 600,000 registered voters. Um, and I would just like to add on that a lot of the states that we've been, a lot of the Democratic parties that we've been phone banking for, a large part of our responsibility is making sure that they're able to turn in their absentee ballots, especially with the pandemic going on right now. And we're trying to encourage them to not rely on their polling station being open, which a lot of people are used to going to their polling station, but because polling stations can be closed down on election day, and especially because of the pandemic, we're definitely needing to adapt and remind people to turn in their mail-in ballots, which is also a unique obstacle for young voters because there are a lot of young voters who really aren't used to sending in mail or addressing an envelope. So it's going to present itself as a definitely unique circumstance for this election cycle, um, but we're definitely trying our best to figure out ways to mobilize the youth vote and make sure that people know how to vote. It's very disheartening to listen to all these ways that the U.S. government prevents citizens from voting. Like, we always are going around telling people, oh, you should vote, but there are so many little ways that marginalized people actually end up being not allowed to vote or losing the opportunity to do so. I think with the whole idea of purging registered voters is really concerning to me because people don't know that they've been unregistered to vote until they show up for election day and are told that they're not in the system anymore. And I think that that's mind-boggling to me that that occurs. And I think the whole idea of voting suppression that just makes it kind of like a silent killer of like U.S. rights and morals, I guess, is that we often don't know that it's happening and it's happening in such subtle ways. People oftentimes like don't know what to do about it. And I think that that's just a very interesting conversation to have, especially when voting suppression 
exponentially affects BIPOC groups, especially Black Americans. And I think that that's something to be said. Like, yes, we all should make the time to vote, but it also should be acknowledged that many people have a very hard time being able to. I don't know if you have any other opinions on that or more personal accounts that you listen to during your time phone banking. Oh, no, yeah, I I definitely agree. I I think that the ways that voting suppression takes place are are very disappointing and they do exclude a lot of people from voting. I will also just say that the process to register in general, um, depending on the state you live in, is extremely archaic and complex and confusing and there's a lot of deadlines and there aren't really any people to explain it to you. It's The instructions are so unclear sometimes and sometimes also to apply for absentee ballots it's very limiting in terms of who can even qualify to apply for an absentee ballot. Um, so there's just all these little ways where it's very difficult to register to vote and to go to the poll on election day or to make sure that your absentee ballot gets counted. Um, so I would just say in general that I don't know why it is so difficult for someone who wants to vote to vote um, and to civically engage in the country that they deserve to participate in its government. Um, I, I just don't understand that um, and it's very frustrating and voters are frustrated when I'm speaking to them on the phone and they haven't heard anything about absentee voting and they haven't received the ballot that they were supposed to receive. Um, so yeah, I think that it needs to be cleaned up. We need to advocate for marginalized voters that are prevented from voting. And I, it's something that definitely isn't focused on that much. But as I was saying, like certain elections, they are literally lost by a few thousand votes. And it's so important to make sure that everyone's included, especially so that we can we can push for more progressive policies and actually elect candidates that are representative of their constituents and the, the issues that their constituents care about. Yeah, and also, I don't know if you know any information about this through Blue Future or your own reading, but with the pandemic, like you mentioned, there's a huge rise in absentee ballots and mail-in ballots because people are not unable to congregate in spaces in order to vote in polling booths. And it's well known that mail-in ballots a lot of the time get lost in the mail, and a lot of people's ballots don't end up actually being able to be counted. And I find that to be really disheartening because when we're in an era where like we actually are forced to use mail-in ballots, I wonder how effective is that going to be? Because like you said, there are some elections that are so close to call, but then there are so many votes that are not counted. And I guess that kind of feeds the whole idea of people not believing that their vote counts. And I was wondering if you had any opinions or have like heard anything about how voting is going to work during this pandemic and if is there a way to like hold either polling workers or the government accountable for making sure that majority of ballots that are sent in are actually counted yeah i i mean to be honest i don't know and it is kind of stressing me out especially because president trump himself has complained about mail-in voting and doesn't want it to exist so it is difficult, um, and especially now it's a difficult time to figure out what we should be doing. 
Um, I know NPR came out with an article um, a couple days ago about mail-in voting and found that in the primary election so far this year, at least 65,000 absentee or mail-in ballots have been rejected either because they arrived past the deadline or often just like through mishaps, like you were saying, maybe it just gets lost in the mail. Um, and it so it is kind of stressful, especially with people that are already on the fence about whether their vote matters, like whether it's even worth going through the effort to mail in your ballot. But I would say that I encourage people to still vote. And because of all the obstacles kind of put in place that make it difficult to vote, just being very vigilant about reminding your friends not to miss the deadline, helping them with addressing their envelopes, um, basically just getting as many people as are in your social circle to remember to vote. Um, I honestly don't know who to hold accountable because it is kind of a point of tension right now um, in terms of should mail-in voting even exist or I don't know, something along those lines. So it's difficult, but I think that all we can do at this point is just try to encourage as many people as possible to vote and to do everything in our control to make sure that the ballot is counted. Um, obviously, there are a lot of things out of our control, but trying to do everything in our control. Yeah, and with that, you have a few points to share with us about what we as citizens can do about voter suppression. Yeah, so there are definitely steps that we can take to try to get involved in in kind of reducing these these obstacles and, and accounts of voting suppression. So there are a bunch of really cool organizations that are participating, such as Fair Fight, which is Stacey Abrams' initiative to combat voter suppression in Georgia. Uh, we can also all write to our representatives to demand that Americans have fair polling place resources, which is super important. And like I said, pretty much just try to get everyone you know registered to vote and make sure that they know where their polling location is or make sure they know when where their deadline is for mailing in their ballot. Make sure they know where their county clerk's office is. Just things like that are steps that we, as I said, that we that we are in control of and we do have access to that information. So just trying to make sure that everyone we know also has access to that information. Because like I said, even though we do have access to it, sometimes it's a complicated process. And so as much as we can do to help people make that process a little bit easier and a little bit more clear um, is really helpful. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Haley. Her information will be linked on our Instagram account at Let's Talk with Kirthi, and we will be uploading a new podcast episode every Friday featuring a different special guest each week to tackle another important conversation. Voting has become a buzzword in the media, but it is actually an important civic duty we have to engage in, especially in 2020. Your vote has a very real impact on elections, and if you have an ability to register, you better head out to the polls during elections. Remember, friends don't let friends miss elections. And with that, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Let's Talk.